you've got to remember as a seller, you want things as simple as possible. The more complicated a deal gets, the more likely it is to overwhelm the buyer and kill the deal. Buying and selling businesses just got a lot easier. Welcome to the Web Equity Show, where thousands of successful entrepreneurs go to learn about buying, growing, and selling online businesses. Your hosts, Justin Cook and Ace Chapman, share their real-life advice, examples, and expert interviews to help you build and grow your own online portfolio. Now to your hosts, Justin and Ace. Welcome to episode six of the Web Equity Show. I'm your host, Justin Cook, and I'm also here with Ace Chapman, my co-host. What's going on, brother? What's going on, Justin? I'm excited to jump into some calls and all kinds of neat stuff we're going to be chatting about today. Yeah, man. Had a really good week. A bunch of responses on Twitter, on iTunes, all kinds of stuff. We're going to get into that. We've also got a great episode lined up. We're talking about the top seven deal killers or death on the vine. We're going to talk about some deals that went bad from both the buyer and the seller side. And I hate to admit it, man, I hate to get into it, but yeah, yeah, we've had a couple of deals go bad. You know, it could have been through the negotiation, it could have been through broker inadequacy. I don't know, man, I don't know, but we've had some deals go bad. We're gonna talk about it and you know some of the reasons for that as well. Yeah, you know, it's funny, even for me, I was just talking to a guy yesterday and you know we have a lot of strict rules that we try to make our our clients follow as we're doing deals but at the end of the day people are excited to get deals done and they get anxious and it's like okay i don't want to wait to find that perfect deal i'm okay with doing this and just yesterday i was talking to a guy he's like you told me not to close on that deal i did it anyway and sure enough it went bad and i never want you know even if i recommend that a client doesn't do a deal i always want them to be successful but yeah you know sometimes you jump in and you do things but we're going to talk tell folks how to avoid being in that situation yeah and i think you know this is actually born out of experience because these are deals that we've gone through or survived and some of our clients have survived and we're going to share our bad experiences with you so hopefully you can avoid some of those same mistakes and we have seven main points we want to cover before we do that though man we've got some listener love we've got a bunch of new itunes seven new itunes reviews man all of them five stars, first off, I'll say. We've got in the US, we've got Sam Leslie says, buying and selling simplified. So I know these guys have done business with both of them. Ace is one of my partners and I'm a partner in another deal that we bought from Empire Flippers. First few episodes have revealed much of the inside of the business of buying and selling websites and web properties. I can attest to the potential of investing in web businesses. Yes, the cash comes rolling in immediately. Thanks, Sam. Appreciate it, man. Yeah, love Sam. We've done some deals together, like you said. And he's a hustler, man. He's, he's done two deals. He's already moving on to the next one. And I'm excited. In a future episode, we're going to talk about how to do that with hiring and building a team and that kind of thing if you really have a vision for doing multiple deals. So Sam is taking those concepts and putting them into action. Yeah, man. And then we got another one from Test Dummy Income, five stars. I found another great podcast. I've always been a fan of Justin from Empire Flipper Podcast, and Ace is always one of my favorite guests. Combine the two and you have a unique show. We've got MDM said, absolutely a great show. Absolutely a must listen. Ace, one of the hosts, often says absolutely. <laughs> He's beating you up, man. <laughs> absolutely. He's saying absolutely a little too much. 
dude, that's one of the things about a podcast, man. You start to like realize your verbal tics and the things you say over and over again. And yeah, it gets a little, you're like, oh God, I got to stop that. We've got the dude is broke said good stuff, entertaining and insightful. We've got uh, Edgar said nice extension. He's in Canada. Said Justin Ace, nice extension to the work from Empire Flippers. We had Russ in Canada. Said great show, valuable info from two trustworthy guys who clearly know what they're talking about after years of experience. We even got a UK review buddy five stars from carlos at a must for anyone in online business as a regular listener of the empire flippers podcast i was pretty sure this is one was going to be great too and it is i'm two episodes in and i'm hooked so thanks guys for your itunes reviews if you are digging the show and you want to give us one we'd really appreciate it we'll give you a shout on the show just give us an itunes review we'll check it out and put you on yeah man we're international i love it <laughs> yeah buddy we're working our way up so next up buddy we got some listener questions we got three of them and i'm gonna go ahead and cover those now first one is from tony he had a question about selling amazon sites hey justin ace this is tony from testdummyincome.com and i have a question for you on selling an amazon associates niche site i currently build these sites using thrive themes content builder which is basically a drag and drop editor will this hurt my resale value since the buyer was going to be required to have a license for this plugin, and also they would have to know how to use it. Thanks. Love the show and looking forward to hearing your answer. So he's basically wondering if it'll hurt the sales value selling sites on the Thrive Themes platform or engine. Now, Thrive Themes is based on WordPress, so that's great. I mean, it's still WordPress focused, and a heck of a lot of people know how to use WordPress. If you're using some other platform that's other than WordPress, that requires a whole bunch of, you know, a big learning curve, that's going to be, I think, much worse, and that will definitely hurt you. I'm not familiar with Thrive Themes, so I don't know exactly how different it is on the back end, but if it's relatively similar to WordPress, which it must be, I don't think it's going to be that big of a deal. It's really going to depend on the complexity on the back end and how well someone can jump in and learn it. You might have some buyers turned away if they think that it's too difficult, but you know, in looking it up briefly, I don't think it seems like it's going to be much of an issue. What do you think, guys? Yeah, I, we've done some Thrive Theme deals, and it's WordPress-based, and, and so that alone at least gets people comfortable with it. And most of the time, the thing you want to be sure when you're building a site is that it just is something that has two things. One, outsourcers that are willing to work on it, because a lot of people don't even want to do any technical work themselves anyway. And that becomes, even if it is easy, even if you're able to go to that seller and say, hey, this is easy. You can figure it out. And they're like, well, no, I don't really want to. I want to outsource it. Or the platform is recognized among outsourcers and that kind of thing. The easier it's going to be for them to find somebody that's going to run it. The other part of it is that it is something that is recognizable. So there are these other builders that just nobody has heard of. And so the question is really legitimate from that standpoint. Because if you get into those, that can be an issue. But this one in particular, I would really let people know that you know it's basically built on top of wordpress and, and most people are familiar with that and know how to get in there and at least play around and figure things out all right man let's hear the next shout what's up guys this is ryan Sorensen with acquisition station i've definitely worked with ace in the past me and him are uh considered bros and justin me and you have been in contact before as well congratulations on this show this actually looks really cool looking forward to listening to some of the podcasts and all right looking forward to it thanks guys 
Thanks for the support, Ryan. Thanks for listening to the show. Appreciate it. I, I don't know what's going on with you calling Ace a bro, man. Hey, <laughs> what's going on, man? I thought we were bros. Uh, I, I'm your podcast co-host, man. What's going on? Yeah, here? yeah. We got I got bros all over the place, man. Yeah, Ryan's down <laughs> in San Diego. We got the hangout down there when I was doing some work with the Orin Claff. And so, yeah, man, I, I love that Ryan's doing his thing and getting some deals done. We've done some deals together. So thanks for calling in, bro. <laughs> yeah, you got bros all over the world. All right, Ryan, appreciate the call in, man. And yeah. glad you're listening to the show. And he wants to check him out. It's over at acquisitionstation.com. I've actually looked at a couple of his deals in the last few months that I was kind of interested in. I think they weren't available or one of them was like <laughs> under offer or something. And, but yeah, he's got some good deals coming out of there. So yeah, we're happy to get you involved yeah. or helping answer questions in the comments. If you find anything that is appropriate that you think you could answer. Here's our last clip. Ace, let me go ahead and play this for you. Hi, my name is Ujwal Velgapudi from Detroit, Michigan. And I had a question in regards to the outlook of the industry in general. With the development of all these mobile applications, do you see any threat to websites? And do you think it's something where, if it's financially responsible to do so, we would have to develop an application for mobile apps? Or is it something that there's a long future ahead and that's not anytime soon where the internet or websites will be uh, losing their value, essentially? All right, man, he's getting serious. He wants to know about the industry, man. Where's the industry going? Are we tanking? Are, is it being taken over by mobile apps? It's interesting. It's a really interesting question, actually. So, you know, are mobile apps going to take over? Are they going to take over for websites overall? Are we going to see a decline in websites? I don't think so, but I think there is a trend toward mobile. And I think that, you know, being able to use something on multiple platforms, but what I think will happen is, is that websites are going to blend with apps. So they're going to be kind of undistinguishable. So you're already seeing like, you know, sites, you know, definitely wanting to be mobile responsive instead of having like separate mobile sites, the sites themselves are responsive and there's a lot of apps on the sites themselves. I think that's going to continue and you're going to see more of a blend in sites where they do become more like an app and an app becomes more like a site. Yeah, I definitely agree. I don't want to be the person that doesn't have enough foresight to say, oh, no, everything's going to stay the same forever. But I don't see websites going away. I do see just as an industry, websites and multiples are continuing to go up. And the, in general, the demand for apps and buying those are going up. And so I think eventually we'll see people that are combining the two. So, you know, when you're selling a website, it's also has an app and more of a mobile component than just a mobile version of the website. Yeah, man, it's interesting. You know, I talked to quite a few app developers and I'd say, you know, five, six years ago, and developing apps was hot. Like if you got a winner app, it would take off. And yeah, you'd have some losers or whatever, but it was relatively easy to get an app that got some traction. But app developers today are having a miserable time with it. I mean, it is like playing the lottery. So that's kind of like, I'm thinking about that similar to like the website builder perspective, right? The app developer, it's really hard to get a winner to get traction. Now you'd hear about the breakouts, but you don't hear about the hundreds and thousands of developers that create these other apps that went nowhere. But like you're saying, there is still action for the hot apps. So the market there is definitely picking up on the buy and sell side. So yeah, not so great right now for mobile app developers or builders, but the buying and selling action going on there is pretty good. All right, man, what do you think? You wanna get in the episode now? Let's do it.
most frustrating things about being a seller is actually getting to the point where you get a deal agreed upon, you get it under contract, and then something comes up that throws off the buyer and they walk away from the deal. It happens and it's really annoying. You know, I had this happen to me on my first couple deals 15 years ago and realized I got to come up with some ways to keep this from happening. Yeah, let's talk a little bit about, you know, who this show is for. And, and we were talking about this before the show. Is this for buyers or is this for sellers? And it's a little bit of both, right? Yeah, it is. So today we're talking about the deal killers that, you know, a lot of times don't pop up until you get into due diligence and you get into transferring the site. And it's the things that keep a buyer awake at night the day before closing and cause them to wake up and say, there's no way I want to do this deal. So it's really for both folks. For the seller, it gives them some things to watch out for so that they don't end up on that other side of the deal with the buyer walking away. But for the buyer, it allows them to establish some of these things before they actually get the deal under contract and get into due diligence because it's it's a, annoying. It's a work. I mean, I know the seller feels like it's annoying, but that buyer has now lost time in their deal search and put a lot of effort and putting the due diligence together and getting the money together and all that. And now for them to have to walk away from the deal isn't something they're excited about either. So this is for buyers and sellers. Yeah, there's an opportunity cost that comes with buyers, right? They spent, you know, maybe uh, days, weeks, months looking into this deal. And then for whatever reason, they are forced to walk away. They just can't do the deal because something wasn't disclosed or they found something really late in due diligence. You know, it sucks for them, right? Because they could have been spending those hours, spending that time on another deal that would have closed. And, you know, this is a common issue for buyers because they do have to go through all the steps and make sure everything pans out on the deals. And so that's one of the reasons that like kind of messing with the small deals, it makes sense when you're starting off, but you start to realize there's a cost that comes with that. The cost that comes with shopping deals that just doesn't make it worth it to really kind of go for the really, really small deals. But, you know, from the seller's perspective, it can just be draining. Right. It's just draining. When you get to the end of a deal, you think the deal is done and it falls apart. It is frustrating. And it, it can get to the point where you're willing to take less the next time around or close quicker and take less money because you're just so sick of the process. And so I think some of the things we're going to talk about today are going to help with that. And it, honestly, it's going to help me because, you know, when deals don't close as a broker, it's expensive for us. Right. Like we don't get paid. We don't really get paid unless the deal goes through. So you know, deals not going through is definitely not in our interest. Yeah, it is. I mean, all the way around, I think each person kind of looks at it from their perspective, but nobody wins uh, when a deal doesn't close. And the thing to uh, really remember as the seller is they're in probably the best position to make sure things go as smoothly as possible. So it's important for the seller to remember that the deal isn't done until it closes. A lot of sellers focus a lot on getting the contract. Am I getting the terms that I want and get the price that I want? But at the end of the day, the real goal is to get to closing. So today we're going to go over the top seven last minute deal killers and give you some pointers on how to make sure that you don't fall into any of those traps and have a buyer walk away at the last minute. So let's jump in. Yeah, go ahead. I got one quick question for you, Ace. Like, when do you consider the deal being done? What's the last step where you can pop the champagne and say this deal is over? It's not just contract signing. It's not, you know, the buyer seller saying, okay, yeah, let's do it. What is the final step for you? 
the final step is the cash being wired and you know everything them accepting the wire everything goes through and the site is transferred ownership yeah money in the bank baby right like it doesn't like <laughs> they're willing to do it you know it's a, we're gonna do it and we're really close so nope until you're paid until the seller gets paid out until the buyer has you know complete control and access to the site the deal is not done all right man let's get into it yeah, yeah. So a lot of these come from experience, Justin, that both of us have both had. And I had a recent experience where, you know, we had a deal that it had way too many unnecessary employees and very loose relationships with contractors. And one of the things that is amazing about today is the fact that it's easier than ever to create new contractor relationships and hire part-time employees. And a lot of times these folks don't work on a regular basis. They may just come in and work on a specific thing for you or put together an infographic or whatever. And you've got a lot of these loose relationships where this guy does your business card design, the other guy does your blog article writing, and then you've got a person that's doing social media. And when you've got a buyer, that can just be overwhelming for them to get in and realize, yeah, your costs are really low on a monthly basis, but within, within that is a lot of headache of a people to manage and things to make sure that you're keeping track of. So it can be a deal killer because sometimes the buyer doesn't realize that until you start to send the information over. And we had that recently where, you know, we knew what the costs were associated with the contractors and employees. But then as we started to break that down and started to transfer things over to the seller, there were all these random relationships. And then there was crossover between where the people were working and different projects and all those things. And you've got to remember as a seller, you want things as simple as possible. The more complicated a deal gets, the more likely it is to overwhelm the buyer and kill the deal. Ace, that's really interesting. So first off, you're right, absolutely, and how easy it is to get contractors for like really small jobs. And I was just thinking about you know, my company right now, right? We have, just thinking about it right now, we have someone that's doing kind of roundup posts. We have someone that's gonna be doing some writing and editing for us as a different person. We have someone doing some on-site SEO changes. We have another person doing some off-site SEO for us. Like we have all these different contractors doing these different things, and it's kind of all wrapped up under me. And I think, I don't know, honestly, just listening to you talk made me realize I need to hire someone to replace myself for some of these things that I'm doing right now. Um, like, I really do. So, I, because it's so scattered. And if we try to sell our business right now, it would be completely problematic with these 15 different contractors you're working on for 15 different projects. It would be a mess. It's really helpful if you have, let's say, you know, it's a smaller business, medium-sized business, and you've got like three people that kind of run it. Right. They work. This person works with the social media contractors, the content contractors, but that person's in charge and responsible for that piece. You have another person that's responsible for all the customer service aspects of the business. Right. So, yes, they use other services and other people, but they're the one in charge. So I think if you have employees or team members that have ownership of you know, multiple contractors, that's a lot better than you as the seller just running with those piecemeal contractors. You're right, that can be messy. And if you want a more valuable business, there needs to be some kind of like intellectual property. And teams and process can add that intellectual property that makes the business more valuable. Absolutely. And a lot of this is just thinking about things from the buyer's perspective. Because 
it is simple to the seller. You know, it's not like the seller is thinking, oh man, I got to, this whole thing is chaos. I'm sure for you, you've, you know who the people are, you've got those relationships, you've got them started and they're working and, you know, you pay them and it's a very simple thing. But from the buyer's perspective, you know, just you explaining what, what all you've got going on, it's like, whoa, that would absolutely, you're correct, uh, terrify and intimidate a, a potential buyer. The second point we want to make out of the seven is likability comes into play, right? And how that comes into play. And this is an interesting one. I've got, I don't want to say too much, but we've got a deal right now where the likability is definitely coming into play in a bad way. So, and this is one of those things where, you know, you just don't know if the buyer's going to like the seller, or the seller's going to like the buyer until you started on due diligence and still you're kind of doing the back and forth of getting more and more information. And you just don't figure that out until you kind of get into it. But once you get into it, you know, it comes down to winding business with other people that you know, like, and trust. And if the other side doesn't know, like, or trust you, or you don't feel that way about them, that can really cause some problems that can, you know, break apart a deal that looked like it would have been good on paper. It was a win. But when you get those two personalities together, it's just not a fit. Yeah, I've seen this over and over. And it's a tough thing, especially when I'm working with the buyer, we've got a seller and, you know, there just is a little clash there. And one of the easiest things to get into the mode, a lot of times it's not so much, oh, man, you guys have to be best friends and buddies. It really is just that, you know, you guys are both working towards the same goal. One of the things that a seller has to remember is that it's not a combat zone. You know, this is now a time to collaborate together and a lot of times you get this thing where the, the seller kind of feels like, when the, the buyer's asking for too much or, you know, I, I don't want to go through all of this. And, you know, the thing to remember is that when you decided to sell your business, you basically agreed to go on the market and deal with people that want to buy as if they're your potential customers to buy your business. And you got to treat your buyer like a customer. And, you know, walk them through the process and be as helpful as possible. And then, you know, obviously on the buyer's side, even if you're annoyed with how long things are taken, try to have some patience can really help and go a long way to get the deal done. Because that's what both people want at the end of the day. Well, the worst thing, too, or one of the really bad things is as a seller, when the buyer says yes, and then they start to change the deal, right? So they're like, okay, you know, yes, let's do the deal. And then they start getting due diligence. And the deal, what the seller originally had envisioned and believe was agreed on has started to change. And, you know, looking at it from the buyer's perspective, sometimes deals change. So what you thought was the case is you actually have to change the terms. I think some respect, right? Some being patient with the other person and trying to understand where they're coming from helps. So if as the buyer, you get into due diligence, you realize, hey, I need to change the terms of this deal, right? We can't move forward as stated because of X, Y, or Z. You have to be, I think, sensitive to the other side, right? They're already, they expect a deal to be done. And you have to, I think, like over kind of explain and kind of like dig into why that's the case and not be a jerk about it, really. Just don't be a jerk about it, right? <laughs> explain it very clearly and kind of where you're coming from and that it's a sticking point for you. And yeah, it, it can get touchy. And, and I think that if you're operating from a place of being helpful, being respectful to the other party, I think that can really help. But sometimes, you know, that conflicts just exist. And that's, that's one of the things that as brokers, we sometimes deal with, we've had situations where, you know, one party was, you know, talking privately to us, talking about lawsuits and talking about this and that before the deal was even done, man, before the deal was even done, eh? it's talking about lawsuits and stuff. And 
the seller, we had to like kind of calm him down a little bit and get him to kind of, okay, no, let's just get through the deal. Here's what they're trying to do. You're missing the point. And you know, that can be really frustrating from our perspective. But again, like if we're able to to get those deals done that seem kind of like they're not going well, that's our competitive advantage. But especially if you're not dealing with a broker, like you got to be cool, man. You got to be cool with the other party if you want to do the deal. Absolutely. Absolutely. It goes such a long way just to be amicable. One of the things that we do, you know, as a quick pointer on deals, when you get into a deal and you realize, man, this thing needs to change, sometimes it's best just to walk away instead of presenting a new deal because from the buyer's perspective, it seems like, okay, well, this isn't what I thought, so let me change my offer. But when you look at it from the seller's perspective, it's like, oh, man, we're in the middle of the thing, and now you're trying to renege. The best thing is to say, hey, this isn't what I thought. I need to walk away from the deal, unfortunately. And then a lot of times what you'll find is the seller will come back and present you with a new option. Yeah. Especially if you clearly explain exactly why you've chosen to walk away and put some work into that. You know, even though you're walking away from deal, you've already put in some work on due diligence. So really put some work into clearly explaining exactly why you're walking away from the deal and that you're happy to maybe renegotiate if they're interested. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. I need to walk away because of X, Y, Z. And then that gives the seller an opportunity to, to all of a sudden find the creativity in himself or herself and come back and say, oh, okay, well, now we can negotiate. Like, let them be the ones to kind of come back and do that. Makes sense. Otherwise, you run into a problem where, you know, you're going to frustrate them. And I think trying to be cool with the other person is important. Our company, we have a no asshole policy. Like, we just don't want to do business with assholes, like people that we uh, as brokers don't get along with or don't think there's a good match. And you know, we do break that rule sometimes every once in a while we'll do that. And it's always miserable and frustrating. And dude, there's enough deals in the world to where you just don't have to take on assholes. <laughs> I know some people like contractors, I have buddies that are contractors or they do consulting and, and they have an asshole fee, right? <laughs> They'll charge an extra 20% or 40% or whatever. But from our perspective, I just don't want to do business with those people. You know, people that are just like that. If we're, if we're that far you know, missing each other, then there's probably just not a good opportunity there. Don't have that same policy. I am quick to fire clients that, you know, we just don't get along. Life is just bottom line too short to deal with assholes. So let's talk about number three. One of the things that e-commerce deals and dropshipping deals may not take into consideration is, is the buyer going to get approved by my vendor or wholesaler? And honestly, sometimes it's just the fact that the vendor or wholesaler requirements are way too stringent. So, you know, if you don't go to the wholesaler, you don't go to the dropshipping company and establish early on, hey, this is what I'm thinking about. What are you going to look for in a new buyer? And then you can communicate that to potential buyers. That can go a long way as far as just making sure that you get the buyer that's going to get approved. I think some people think, oh, well, I'll just wait till the last minute and then try to force them to approve them. And I don't want to cause any problems early on by telling them, oh, well, this is why it's too stringent or this is, you know, all of these stringent policies that my wholesaler has. But the truth is you're not helping anything. You know, like we said at the top of this episode, when it comes to deals, nothing matters until the wire goes through and you get your cash. So 
all you're doing by kind of not communicating those requirements is <laughs> increasing the likelihood that it's not going to close and you got to start all over. So it ends up being more work for you, not less. Yeah, this is one of the things that guys over at Centurica look at is the transferability of either the affiliate network or the suppliers, that kind of thing. Like, are there multiple suppliers out there? And yeah, I think that's really important. I think that, you know, if as a buyer, you know, it's really difficult to get approved without supplier and you come on and, and you're not able to get approved, obviously that's a, a deal killer. So as a seller, if you know that, you may want to either talk to the supplier, you know, kind of explain the situation, what you're looking to do and see if you can work out a deal where the buyer can come on. If it's like a very large company that's kind of outside your control, it's an like Amazon affiliate or something, making sure that they're able to get approved and that that's something that they're able to push through and they're able to work on early on rather than kind of waiting and waiting until the end of the deal. All right, man, fourth thing we want to talk about is a last minute decline in revenue or traffic. And this can definitely be a deal killer. Not always, but it can definitely change the price on the deal for sure. And sometimes this isn't in the seller's control, right? Sometimes it's just a seasonal thing or, you know, they've taken a couple of weeks or, you know, a month has been down or really they're kind of in a spiral, a downward spiral, and they don't really know how to fix it. But other times it is in their control. And the deals I'm talking about here are when, you know, let's say they've been trying to sell for, let's say, two to six months. And they basically checked out after they finished the vetting process or, you know, getting all their information together. They've checked out of the business. They're doing something else. And they're just no longer focused on it. And the revenue is in a decline because they've abandoned their business. Like, that's a really bad thing to do from a seller perspective because you're going to have buyers come in that are going to want crazy discounts look where the site's going seller can't you know keep it under control can't keep it profitable so they're going to want some deep steep discounts and honestly they're probably deserved if you've been on a fairly heavy decline while you've been trying to sell the site yeah it is one of those things that you try to prepare buyers for the fact that listen there are ebbs and flows in business and you can even go back in history and say hey you know this went down here and that kind of thing and sometimes a buyer gets comfortable with that but at the end of the day, nobody wants to try to catch the falling knife. So, you know, when you got something going down, it's just obviously scary, scarier than when something's going up. So it's a lot better if you can really work that deal and have the income and traffic and everything in kind of an upward pattern as opposed to situations where it's going down and you got to convince the buyer that, no, everything is okay. Yeah, there's a buyer out there for, for almost any business. And you know, even if it's a, a falling knife, even if it's a turd, there are people out there that specifically shop for turds. But it's a lot less. It's a lot less, right? So if you've got a business that's on the incline, you might have a bit of a bidding war. You're going to get people that are interested. And, and you know, that's when the buyers are signing themselves going, oh, okay, I guess I'll beat that price. And ah, I guess I'll pay more for it because it's a good business. I see where it's going. It's on an awesome trajectory. And there's just more buyers in that space. And as a seller, the thing you want to do is you want the most options, the most opportunities. And the place where most buyers are going to be looking are sites that are on an incline and that have growth potential. And it's clearly based on a historical trajectory that's positive for the business. So the next one that I want to talk about is another recent experience, and it's with pending legislation. A lot of times when we get into smaller deals, we don't think about the fact that hey, there's possibility that, you know, we could be impacted by laws changing. And, you know, we had a deal that you and I talked about on a recent podcast over at Empire Flippers where, you know, we had a deal that was a very awesome business. It was the numbers were great. 
the multiple was less than two. It was a great opportunity. And it was in an industry that's basically like Airbnb for pets. You can take your pet and have a pet sitter at somebody's house, watch them while you're on vacation. And it's a great business model. The downside to the business model was we ended up finding out that in the process, we were very fortunate that some of the numbers started to look a little weird. And we did some research and realized that there had been some legislation that passed on a state level that basically regulated the pet sitting industry. So you know if you know state legislatures are taking the time to regulate pet sitters, they can regulate anything. So keeping in mind, hey, this is a risk here is really valuable. And you know, one of the things that we were able to do because we realized that is protect some. A lot of those started to come on the market as the states were different states were releasing these laws, and we were able to protect some clients from doing those deals. But because we realized, hey, this is something that's happening in that industry. So on both sides, I mean, sometimes. It's better if you are the seller to just let the person know, hey, here's what's going on. Because even that first deal might have been salvageable because all it did was decrease the income a bit. And so they could have said, hey, really, the multiple is going to be at three now because we've got these additional expenses due to the regulation. Yeah, it's going to be some additional headaches and that kind of thing. But here's what's going on. Yeah, I think if you're upfront about it, it's not necessarily going to throw the buyer off. From my perspective, like if there's pending legislation, it may be an issue, but it may not, right? I mean, you know, this is a really, really big example, but think of like Airbnb, right? They dealt with all kinds of legislative issues and they're still dealing with those in terms of, you know, whether Airbnb should be allowed in states and cities and that kind of thing. Now, they got huge really quickly, which is, I think they were able to kind of beat the turning tide in, <laughs> in how it was viewed and how they legislated against it in some cases. So, you know, that probably helped. Uh, whereas if you're a smaller pet sitting service, maybe maybe you don't have, you know, the crazy, you know, billion dollar backing that the Airbnb did. But I think it's interesting. And I think that even if there is legislation in that, let's say in that town or whatever, for whatever deal you're doing, there may be opportunity outside of that town that a buyer's coming with. And they say, okay, yeah, that's fine that it's in that town or whatever, you know, and maybe they'll all want a discount on it. But I'm really planning on rolling this out, you know, across the country. I'm really planning on rolling it out elsewhere. So it's not that big of a deal to me. So so keep that in mind that, you know, it's it's better to mention up front because they find out later on the deal, once a bunch of terms have already been agreed to, you know, the buyer may walk away. Whereas if it's mentioned up front, that's something they can kind of take into account. The sixth point I want to talk about is when the seller is critical to the business. And this can be a problem. This is a situation where, you know, you have the seller and they just do everything, right? They are involved in everything and they are just doing everything in the business and, you know, from top to bottom. And this can be bad. You can see this happen when you're getting further along in due diligence and the seller, almost like a braggy point, is like, oh, yeah, I go do this and I have this intimate knowledge of that and because I've been in the industry for 15 years and things like that start to scare off a buyer, right? If, if I'm a buyer coming in and I'm talking to a seller who has this intimate knowledge of the industry, they've been involved in 15 years and they have all this experience and they're telling me that that's kind of their competitive advantage and I don't have that, right? That's like, what am I going to do to the business? Like, how is the business going to continue to run without the seller who's critical to the business being involved? So I may try to change the deal where I keep the seller involved longer than they wanted to. So this bragginess, this kind of uh, bravado 
coming from the seller as they're walking through the business and due diligence could end up biting them in the ass a bit. Yeah, it's funny. I mean, as entrepreneurs, we all have to have some level of ego to think that, hey, I'm the guy to go out and do this. But when it comes to dealing with buyers, you have to kind of pull that back a little bit and not brag on yourself and your abilities and that kind of thing. And so this is definitely a place where humility and really kind of making, letting them know, hey, anybody, I'm not special. You know, anybody could run this business and here's why that can definitely help get the deal done. Everyone likes to think they're a special snowflake, man, but it's, there's nothing wrong with like breaking it down saying, nope, yeah, no, I could be replaced. Here's how it works. And, and that's good. You don't think about it. as an entrepreneur, you know, you like to, you have a bit of an ego and you're like, oh, okay, well, this business is built on, you know, how clever I am and how creative I am and how hardworking I am. But ultimately, if it's a good business, it's been replaced by people that have their roles right in the business. And if it hasn't been, then you need to do that to sell the business. That's a much more sellable business, which is something we'll talk about in other episodes as well. Yeah, yeah. This last one, Justin, is a tough one for some sellers because it does get into a space where we live in a litigious society and sometimes there are these frivolous things that pop up. But we, unfortunately, because of that, we do have deals that fall through because a seller has a litigious past. And, you know, there's certain industries where just, hey, losses happen and that kind of thing. Other times, people really were kind of malicious and deserve to be sued. And so a lot of times people want to kind of sweep that under the rug and say, you know, not really talk about it because like, hey, I didn't deserve to go through that. I don't want to talk about it. A tough thing about that is it's a lot better to go ahead, even if it was, especially if it was something frivolous, is just say, hey, here's what happened. You know, just want to be really upfront about this. And obviously you guys could search me in and find out details. But I want you to know that I went through this lawsuit because finding that out and we've had these deals where, you know, it, it could be something that may not even be related to that business, but buyer starts to do due diligence on the seller and they uncover a couple of things and you know it makes them a little nervous about dealing with the person and so you being in control of how they view that is a lot better than them finding it on their own so i really like that this is a thing ace i gotta be honest with you man <laughs> i like it i like the fact that and i'm gonna expose myself for being a creeper here but when i'm doing a business deal with someone like i google them man i check them out i try and see like what their history is and this is you know when any kind of like significant business deal i want to know who I'm dealing with. And if I do find some things from the other person that you know, make me realize that they're not the type of people that I want to do business with, I'll pass on the deal. So it's important to me that and I think it's great that we're able to do that. And I think you know, whether you're a buyer or seller or any kind of entrepreneur, it, it's important to realize that your reputation follows you around. Like you, we're 2015, we're on the internet. Like it's just, it's going to follow you around. So character is a really big thing in business and trust, right? So if you have these issues with trust, or with your character from previous business deals, those are going to follow you around. And like you mentioned, like addressing them up front, not whining about them and in a way that, oh, this person did this to me, that to me, because that's a turnoff too, right? Think of it like an interview where you don't want to complain about your old boss or you don't want to complain about your old customers, right? But kind of explaining the situation, explaining why it's different today, I think is important. But, you know, obviously the best thing to do is, is just to avoid doing bad deals <laughs> like that in the first place. But if you've got them on your record, Yes, like you said, I think address it openly and honestly, 
without whining and complaining about your old customers or partners or whatever, and then moving forward. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right, so hopefully these things help you, give you an idea on the, for the sellers and the buyers, for the buyers, some things to watch out for, for the sellers, some things to prepare and let the buyer know up front. Because at the end of the day, it's painful to do a lot of work, build trust, work through the deal, give a lot of information about your business, get through due diligence. And then, you know, a few days before the deal is supposed to be done, you get a message saying, oh, no, they walked away. We got to start all the way back over. It's easier and a lot more effective to just work with the person, be nice, be helpful, work them through the process and understand that, hey, it's a process. It's going to take some time. It sucks losing those big deals, Ace. It doesn't matter which side of the fence you're on, man, whether you're a buyer or seller, like when those things drop out, it is just painful. We have a guy that works on our sales team. And so, you know, he's looking at all these deals and our overall kind of revenue and saying, oh, okay, how many deals can I do this month? Where are we going to be at this quarter? And then when you see one fall of his pi pipeline, he just, it's crushing, man. It's crushing. It hurts me too, right? I'm like looking at, oh, that was a big one, man. That's not going to happen. And you know, there are some highs and lows that come with it too, though, too, when you like squeak one out that you didn't think was going to happen too. So yeah, man, yeah. It, can, it can be painful <laughs> when you lose them, but it's exhilarating when you get one to go through that you thought had no chance. And I think, you know, as I mentioned before, I think character is really important. I think working with people that you know, like, and trust and trying to figure that out as soon as you can, I think that's really important for both sides, right? No matter what side of the fence you're on and making sure that, you know, you look at the different points that we talked about today to make sure that the deal is going to go through and it's likely to go through both on your side and on their side will help. And, you know, it sucks having to go back to the market and start all over. It's, it's like dating, right? Like you don't want to go back. If you've been in a long time relationship, going back and doing those, that, those first dates, ah, oh, it just sounds, you know, the fake smiles and the, hey, how are you? And yes, I care about what you're talking about right now or you're nodding your head like that just sucks, right? Yeah. So, <laughs> so yeah, don't, don't do that. If you can finish closing the deal, close the deal. All right. Thanks so much for tuning into the Web Equity Show. We really appreciate it. As we mentioned before, do check us out on iTunes and leave us a review if you thought the show was helpful to you. We'll be back next week with another show. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks for listening to the Web Equity Show. Now is your chance to be a part of the action. Go to www.webequityshow.com gift and send us your business acquisition or exit question and have it answered on the show. 